Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hello, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they are especially proud of, and much more in hopes of creating a safe space for sharing experiences, geeking out on health IT industry-specific knowledge, and sometimes just enjoying each other's company. I'm Joy Rios. I'm Robin Roberts. And this is our seventh episode of the season. Today we'll be speaking with Whitney Cole, otherwise known as the Mission Maven. She's got a lot to share with us, so let's jump right in. I call myself the mission maven and the reason for that is because I work with health tech companies, digital health companies to or mission driven companies but a lot of times that's what health tech and digital health are they're very mission driven um, to break their missions and their messages through the noise uh, because what I find a lot of times happens is these founders of companies or the people that work in the marketing departments they're very very focused on their you know, like the things they do, the functional features of what their technology provides. Uh, And so they have a hard time translating that into really uh, approachable, usable, uh, easily consumable language that their customers really resonate with. So that's that's what I work with them to do is make sure that their message is getting out in a way that attracts their ideal customer. Are there any that you could highlight? Yeah. Okay. So this will be interesting to your audience because it's a female founded company and one that I really, really love. Um, So I worked with this, I worked with this client who she had a reproductive health product and it was essentially a period tracking app, except what she was doing with it was really cool because she marketed her product here in the U S and she had a free version. Um, and then she also had a paid version. And then what she did with her paid version was she used that revenue to help women in the developing world, get contraceptive options. So, uh, a lot of times in the developing world, uh, women because of like cultural issues or religious reasons, or like just even societal taboos, they don't, or economic reasons too. They don't have access to birth control that we here in the U S have access to, you know, we can just, go to the pharmacy and get birth control. A lot of women around the world don't have that option. So what she did was she, she offered different products to them that weren't necessarily like a medicine or pill or anything, but that helped them take charge of the reproductive health. 
And she was using tech to do that, which is super cool. Like just the fact that we can use technology to help women achieve their goals in life, I think is awesome. So anyway, but she was struggling to get her message out here in the US and she tried content and she was publishing content. It was, it was good content. It was insightful, but then it just wasn't working for her. So she turned to doing digital advertising and what she found is she would spend a lot of money on ads and then when she did that, when she spent lots of money, her user acquisition would go up. You could see it on her reports. Her user acquisition would go up. The second she stopped spending money, that user acquisition plummeted. Um, it was like, it just like dropped to the basement, you know? And uh, so it just wasn't working for her. And that it wasn't sustainable because, you know, what she was trying to do with her revenue was give herself a way to help women in the developing world. But if she's always having to spend that money on ads, it just, it's not productive. Um, so anyway, we sat down, we figured out who her ideal customer was and it's pretty obvious, right? She knew who her ideal customer was, you know, as a product for women in their reproductive years, essentially. So it's like women 20 to 40, that's her ideal customer, but she, she struggled speaking to that person. So we sat down, we figured out who her ideal customer was, and then we developed the way of speaking to that customer. So creating content for them that solve their challenges that they really wanted and needed to read. Um, what she was doing before with the content she was creating was she's very focused on, you know, changing the world, like changing healthcare, changing how we approach women's issues. And so her content was focused on, it was speaking to people just like her. So it was like very uh, like global health oriented, like what we can do to fix global health problems. So that wasn't speaking to women who were using her product. Well, I mean, they were, cons they're concerned about global health issues, but they're also concerned about like, well, normal period problems, you know? So, so when we started creating content that was targeted at her ideal customer, what we saw was her uh, sales went up for her paid product. Um, and then user engagement overall went up like 393%. It was like some crazy number because what happened with her when she was doing ads was the users she was getting were like, I call them shiny object users. It's like they see the ad and they're like, Ooh, that looks like a cool product. They download the app and then they never come back to it with content targeted at her customer, she was getting customers who actually wanted and needed her product as opposed to people who are just going to download it and then never use it again. So that was pretty cool to see like those engagement numbers go up. That was, that was awesome. So that's one example um, of what, what I do and how it helps someone get their message out. How did you get the word out if it wasn't through ads? Yeah. So a couple of different ways. Um, we started with blog posts because you want to have good blog content on your website for a few reasons. Number one, it tells the Google, it tells Google or whatever search engine that your, your website isn't dead. Like it's constantly being updated with fresh material. Um, so we started with blog, blog content and then distributing that content. We focused heavily on Instagram with her and we worked with a few different influencers. Um, we did some, we ran some like contests and giveaways on Instagram just to raise brand awareness and get people starting to talk about her product. Cause there, it's kind of a crowded space. There are a lot of people out there who are period tracking apps and they claim to, you know, help you be able to prevent pregnancy, uh, plan for pregnancy, whatever. But, and she didn't have a lot of brand awareness in this space. So we had to raise her brand awareness and her ideal customer. I mean, they're on different social media platforms, but Instagram was a big one for that particular market. So um, we focused on distributing on Instagram and working with different 
different people who had large followings who could help us get our message out. But you know, for every person who is doing content marketing or trying to market their company, well, the distribution channels are going to look different. So Instagram for her was where we needed to be. But for some people, it's just going to be LinkedIn. Some people, Quora is a really great distribution channel. Um, there's ways to use Wikipedia to get your content out. So like just thinking outside the box, thinking where your customer's getting their information, where they're, what channels are on, what they're reading, that's where you need to be. So Whitney, can you tell our listeners, how is it that you got involved in kind of doing content and making this your mission as the Mission Maven? Big backstory to it is it started when I was three days old. I had, because uh, people ask me, why health tech? Why health tech? Um, but it started when I was three days old. I had, I was diagnosed with a congenital heart condition and I had open heart surgery uh, my parents didn't know when I was born that I had this condition and um, a pediatrician found it and I had open heart surgery immediately. And that surgery was followed by two others in high school. Um, and so the reason I'm here today is because someone created the technology and the tools so that my congenital heart condition could be diagnosed. Somebody created the tools that my doctors used to, um, my surgeons used to even do the, you know, do surgery on me. So when I look at health tech, I see an industry that like saved my life, that changed my life, that gave me the ability to live the life I have. And that, that's why I focus on health tech because there's so many diseases out there that we still need to cure. There are so many, there's so many ways we need to fix healthcare. And I just want to help the companies that are trying to do that. And then the more recent part of the story is I, so I did always, because I was a congenital heart kid, I always wanted to be a cardiologist, right? I wanted to like help other people like me. And so I went to college and uh, I, but well, okay, backtrack a minute. <laughs> so I wanted to be a cardiologist, but then I took biology class in high school and I could not handle like dissecting things. And it just really wasn't my, it wasn't my gift set, my skill set. Um, so I went to college as an, as an English major and I, so I was always a good writer, but I like, I was always sad that I wasn't going to be a doctor. And so after college, I worked as a content strategist for a while. And then when I had my first child, I left the company I was working at because I just felt like the options they offered to me as a mother weren't going to let me be a good mother and use what I was good at, use my gifts, use my skills. Um, so I left and I, I had been freelancing, you know, kind of moonlighting as a freelance writer. When I left my company though, I went full-time into freelance writing. And then more recently I've moved more to like the strategy site, helping people figure out the strategies to get their messages out. I love the personal mission and passion behind that, but also kind of the evolution and realizing that biology isn't for you, that you applied the thing you were good at to still fulfill the thing that you've, you know, this thing you felt so strongly about, which was, you know, helping others help their patients like you were helped even as really an infant. And so I, I love the longevity of the journey too. It's, it's really very cool. Yeah. It's like my whole life. <laughs> People want to know the backstory. I'm like, well, you really, do you really? Cause we've got to start at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, health technology has literally affected your life from the get go. How has it been on the patient side of that equation? I mean, have you been tracked, you know, for the majority of your life? I'm sure that the having open heart surgery in high school must have been a huge deal at the time. No. Yeah. Looking back, I, so I don't obviously don't remember the first surgery when I was three days old. You know, there's research that shows that trauma as a baby can affect you, but like the high school trauma, like, I mean, and it is tra traumatic to have open heart surgery. Looking back, there were about 
12 years between when I was, when I had my last surgery and when I had now, when I did not talk about that experience. Like I, uh, not too long ago, a couple um, earlier this year, maybe, maybe before that I posted something about, I think it was American heart month, which is February. So I posted something about having open heart surgery and how congenital heart disease is a really big issue, but there's not like a lot of uh, you know, it needs more funding because tons of kids are born with congenital heart disease. And one of my friends from college, and this was a good friend, and this was a friend that I had lunch with like every week and I spent a lot of time with, she, she's like, I never knew that about you. And I realized I went through a, a very long period of my life where I did not talk about congenital heart disease because it, it was very traumatic for me personally. Like that surgery when I was 16 was scary. And the one, I had one when I was 15, it was, they were both they were both scary. And the one when I was 16 was not expected. It was kind of like the surgery when I was 15 didn't end up working. And so we had to go back and fix it. So yeah, but the thing is, I have always worked with really great doctors. I hear people talk about being underserved by the healthcare industry. And that is actually something that I've been fortunate enough not to have experienced. I've worked with when I was three days old, the, I worked. I would. I had my surgery at uh, Children's Hospital in Denver. So I had my surgery at a really great hospital. Uh, the surgeries in high school were at Mayo Clinic, and they were they were really great. Now I don't remember the back end of things, so I don't remember like how hard it was to get you know for like my medical records to be transferred and how much information my doctors had going into it. You know if they were be able to communicate. I based on what I know of the healthcare system now, I know that communication between healthcare facilities is, can be really difficult, but I did not know that at the time. So it wasn't something I was really looking for. And then the other thing that was really, that I feel like I probably, it, it's changed since then, but that I was underserved by was healthcare insurance, that part of things. Because from the time I was like, I don't remember the age, but I wasn't able to get healthcare insurance because this was before Obamacare, you know, and people would not, insurance companies would not cover a pre-existing condition. And so I'm very passionate about making sure that healthcare focuses on covering the people who need it, you know, because I couldn't, there was a period of time when I couldn't go to the cardiologist because I couldn't, it was, it was super expensive and I didn't have health insurance. And I was like, this is like the one thing I need health insurance for and you won't cover it. <laughs> um, so as far as those two things go, like, yeah, or that thing goes, there, there are ways we still need to change. And Obamacare has fixed some of that, but there are still things we need to change about that part of things. Well, and it's still at risk. The pre-existing I know. Um, conditions conversation is alive yes. and well. So I was talking with someone recently about pre-existing conditions and why that still needs to be covered. And they were like, well, we just don't, we just, you know, we don't want to have to pay for it if we're healthy but I'm like, but it's not my fault that I have this pre-existing condition, but yet you want me, you want that to be not covered by health insurance because if they take away that stipulation that health insurance companies have to cover it, of course, no one's going to cover pre-existing conditions because they're freaking expensive. <laughs> Our surgery costs a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And it's not the kind of thing that you have any control over when you're three days old, like they want to exactly. keep you alive and we'll do whatever it takes to, to do so. Exactly. Right. So yeah, yeah, that needs to be fixed. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to actually tell you a story. I was traveling in Australia almost 20 years ago and happened to be staying in a hostel with a girl who was probably just out of high school and had also had um, open heart surgery. And we were literally on the other side of the world in the middle of nowhere. And I remember basically sharing a room with her and her telling me her life story. And 
she was so excited to, to basically do something and be traveling on her own as a, you know, older teenager, maybe 20 year old girl, but it, everyone was so concerned for her. Like every time she would go horseback riding or any, like, honestly, people were afraid for her life. And mm -hmm. so it was a, it was just a, was that the kind of thing that followed you around where people are really careful about activities you do or, you know, what, what it is you're allowed to do in your, as a, <laughs> in your body, knowing that you're, you know, have somewhat fragile or this, you know, a heart condition. It's serious, right? Yeah. So I think that's another reason I didn't want to talk about it in high school and after I, cause I didn't want people to be that way with me. I was like, I don't want them to ask me about it. I don't want them to, you know, pity me or whatever. Cause it's not something that needs to be pitied. You know, like I'm very strong because of it, but my dad was always that way. He was always very protective, which looking back, I was just, you know, now that I'm a mother, I realized like I would do the same for my children. He was protecting his baby girl. So, but as far as like, I've, I've been able to have kids, you know, that's something that my generation of congenital heart kids is one of, I don't know if it's the first generation, but it's one of the first generations to make it to adulthood. And so people are, I remember when I first talked to my cardiologist about, Hey, can I have kids? You know, people are kind of iffy about it. Like, well, maybe, but then as time went on and I, you know, medicine continually gets better and they have more information. They're like, yeah, let's, yeah, it's totally fine. You can do it. Um, and so the cardiologists I work with during my pregnancies were cool with it. The OBs uh, that I worked with were not all of them. The one I had with my second child was amazing and like totally chill about it. But with my first child, they were like super like paranoid about something going wrong. Um, so that's been interesting to watch. Like my cardiologists are just like, oh yeah, you're good. You can have a kid. But the OBs on the other hand are a little bit like, Ooh, is this okay? Are you going to be okay? <laughs> When it clearly worked out, you've got two healthy yeah, little ones. Yeah? I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Everything went well, so. Whitney, can I change gears back to kind of some of the content and the things you're doing for Health Tech to help them get their message out in a good and relatable way that's going to help make it the actual difference? We can see why, you know, Health Tech matters so much to you personally. What do you think are the problems, the biggest problems of the, those companies you're trying to face in getting their messages out in Health Tech? So a couple things. Number one, a lot of times they are very focused on the technical features of their product, you know, because they've been building this technology. They're trying to make sure it's perfect. They're trying to make sure they have a workable product that is going to make a difference. And so, and they're, the people I work with are normally very brilliant people. You know, a lot of them are doctors who saw a need. So they started a company or they're uh, scientists or they have like a research background or something, but they saw a need. And so they went out and started a company. So they're not used to speaking to the end users of their product or, you know, in, in this space, a lot of times there's a, they're selling to businesses who are ultimately selling to consumers. So it's like B2B to C. Um, so they've got to speak to both. They don't always understand how to speak to those people in words that are easy for that audience to understand. So that would be problem number one. Problem number two would be a lot of times there's a breakdown between knowing who the audience is and the content that's getting produced, the content that's getting written and published or you know, videos big. So the content that's getting filmed and posted or whatever. So that is an issue. A lot of times 
Um, it can happen be either because the founder or the company leadership hasn't been very thoughtful about their audience, so that they default to speaking to the wrong audience, or it happens when the leadership team um, hires a, a content creator, and even if they educate them about who their audience is, they are the content creator sometimes struggles to get that and they start to eventually move. They might know at the beginning who the audience is and do create content for that audience. But as time goes on, they kind of move away from it. So making sure that they have like a really uh, regimented customer avatar description, as well as a communication guide for this is how we speak to our customer every single time has been really helpful for the people that I work with. Um, as well as starting when they actually plan content, starting with the core challenge of their customer and planning their content out from there. So those are some of the main, I mean, there are, there are other problems as well. Like uh, sometimes founders and company leadership, they, they know they need to do marketing, but they also need sales immediately, you know? So they, they need the short-term wins, but they also need to look at the long-term game because content marketing is more of a long-term game, but they need to get those quick wins as well. So like how, how sales and marketing work together to be able to get them those leads so they can do that is also it, it can be a problem, um, but it it can when marketing and sales talk to each other, it can it can be overcome as well. I like your focus into you know how they forget about the end user because they're so focused on the features and benefits and getting to market and having those quick wins. I like how you describe it as a long term gain, and you know without that, it's not going to reach the end users, the patients, the customer where it actually matters. So I love that your mission kind of helps their rubber meet the road, so to speak, to, to make that difference. Right, right. And it's all about speaking to the right audience with the right content. Are you personally the one who's creating all of this content? That's huge. You must be really learning the ins and outs of all kinds of technology. Can you tell us about what are some of the most interesting things you've learned through, you know, kind of having access to the technical speak of some of the health companies you've worked with? So um, I do work with a team of writers to help me create content. Uh, so I do like a short-term process of creating the strategy. And then at the end of that process, I want to make sure that they have the perfect partner to work with for them. So sometimes that means I need to help them find a different writer. Sometimes it means working with me and my team. But to kind of fix that problem, because you do have to get really deep into their subject matter and you have to become a subject matter expert. And so to help solve that problem, I try to have one writer focus on one client. So one writer is focusing on one account, creating content for that person. So it's kind of like their writer. And that helps because then they can really dig in and learn about the company, learn about like the the subject matter that they're creating content around so that they have a really solid knowledge of that. Um, because to create the right kind of content and to create content that's valuable and helpful to customers, like you do have to have a deep knowledge of the company and you have to understand what problems they're solving, how they're solving them, the challenges that the customer faces and how those challenges affect their lives. And I imagine it gets really complicated. Sometimes I think to myself, is it better to do the job myself or to train somebody to help me do it? And both take a lot of work. Um, yeah. <laughs> and making sure oh, that's been it. That is a challenge is making sure that the writers that work with me and that work with my clients are actually really good writers and know, you know, know how to create good content. So part of that's training. Part of that's also making sure the people I hire and work with are, you know, go getters and can figure things out on their own because there's some self-learning that they're going to have to do as well. 
it is complex the a lot of times when you're learning about the company and their product but the trick is to make sure that that complexity doesn't come through to the audience because if it's difficult for them to understand, if it's difficult for them to see the value in, they're not going to read the content. It's like that, that story I told at the beginning about the client. She was creating good content, but it wasn't content that was speaking to her customer. Like it was content that it didn't necessarily go over their heads. They could understand it, but it just didn't relate to their day-to-day lives. So they didn't read it. They didn't engage with it. Um, and so making sure that any complexity by the time it gets to the audience is removed, which that actually is a harder kind of writing to do as well, because if writing comes easily, it probably means reading it's difficult for the audience. But if writing is difficult, a lot of times that means reading is easy for the audience. Does that make sense? That does. I never actually heard it put that way, but that does make a lot of sense. So if you spend a lot of time writing and rewriting, I always like to say that the good writing is actually in the rewriting (laughs) because if you just brain dump something into a Google doc and say, oh, look, it's a blog post, let's publish it. It's not going to be very good and nobody's going to read it. But if you spend a lot of time rewriting, if it's hard to do, that's actually a good thing because that means you're going through it, looking at it from your audience perspective and trying to figure out how to make it better and more readable by them. Yeah, there's a quote out there that is, if I had more time, I would make this letter shorter, basically. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yes. (laughs) I understand exactly what you're talking about, because I think that when people, especially in different health IT companies, kind of live and breathe their product, you know, we know that there's an acronym soup of all kinds (laughs) of complicated things. And even though we are in it day in and day out, living and breathing it, lay people are not. Those folks don't know. And that happens to us often. And you're like, oh, I think that people are going to know what I'm talking about when I use a MIPS or a MACRA. Right. And or you can get EHR, some funny- Or EMR, you know, like all of those technical phrases that oh. we might know what they are, but nobody else does. <laughs> right. You can't assume that they do. Right, exactly. And even like, if you spell out the acronym, people are still like, huh? Well, it doesn't help that a lot of them continue to change. I mean, we've had our recent example that you know we live in is Meaningful Use was also known as the EHR Incentive Program, which turned into Advancing Care Information, but is now promoting interoperability. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, like that confuses me. So of course, it's going to confuse <laughs> anybody else out there. Yeah, so it's from CMS. When you see all their different resources of presentations, you can see any version of those acronyms. And so for people just trying to get up to speed, it's really difficult. Yeah. So Whitney, for those out there that are listening that, you know, are, you know, hoping to get in touch with you, but maybe trying to solve this on their own a little bit, you know, is there any secret you would offer to that company or business owner about getting their message out? Yeah. So it all starts with knowing your customer and then using what you know of your customer to help you create content for that person. And a lot of times people think, you know, if I know my customer, like if I know how old they are, if I know where they work, if I know how educated they are, if I know how many people are in their family, that means I know my customer. But you know, that's like saying, I know 
whatever movie star just because I know everything about them, you know, but that's not going to help you know your customer. I mean, it's a good place to start. You need to know those things. So you need the, you need the data, but you also need the human. Um, so figuring out like what their emotions are, what they feel, how they think, what motivates their purchasing behavior, all of those things need to come into play. And then the second piece of that is understanding their challenges and understanding them from not so much like a, this is how we solve this challenge, but understanding how that challenge affects their lives, putting yourself in their shoes, you know, thinking how, you know, how your piece of technology, like if it's, if it's geared towards a healthcare provider, how that piece of technology affects that person's job, how it affects their relationships, whether at home or at work, how it affects their ability to interact with patients, working through all of those things to see the pain points that they're experiencing, and then using that core challenge that they face to um, plan content that speaks to that challenge and also provides a solution and also provides hope that there is a solution, you know, that these things can be fixed. So what I tell people to do and I help people do is so starting with that core challenge and then coming up with pillar topics to create content around that kind of each of those pillars kind of makes up that challenge a piece of it um, and then creating creating uh, like I, I call it a content tree so coming up with the topics that make up each of those pillars and then from there you have a really robust content plan for blog posts or videos or you know social media posts or whatever so um, that's actually something I if you if your listeners want it I can I can give to them um, I have a like a template to come up with, come up with an easy way to plan content so that they're not, a lot of times people think, okay, I need to publish four blog posts this month. So week one, they are like, okay, this is a great topic. So they publish a blog post about that. And then week two, they're like, oh, okay, I'll publish about this. And then, you know, by like the third or fourth week, they're like, I have no idea what to write about. I'm out of ideas. <laughs> um, and so they write about like their dog or their, I don't know, the coffee they had, or I don't know, the new coffee bar in their office or whatever, the funding they just got, they're not publishing content that's relevant to their customer. And so this template that I have makes it easy to publish content that's relevant to your customer because you start with the challenge, you come up with the pillars that make up those challenge, and then you come up with the topics, the subtopics that are in each one of those pillars, if that makes sense. Yes. And that sounds extremely valuable. I'm, I can think of plenty of folks that would find use out of it. So thank you. Yes. We yeah. would love to take you up on that. So Whitney, one of the things you mentioned is that you're a mom of two kids and that, you know, in your prior job before setting out on your own with Mission Maven, you know, that it didn't allow you to have that work-life balance, you know, what is it like for you now is, you know, a female in health tech and helping these people? Have there been any other challenges or successes as a result of, you know, that or prior jobs and now setting out on your own that you could share with our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So the reason I left my company at the time was I, I had friends who worked there who were mothers and I just saw that they were not given the flexibility. And I think that's, you know, I, it wasn't a tech firm I was working with, but I think that's something across the board that happens is where women are expected to come in and do their jobs, which obviously they should, that's what they're getting paid for. But then there's no flexibility to allow them to also be good mothers. But when you treat, when you treat a person as the whole person, you know, as a, a woman and as a mother and as a um, really skilled, talented employee, you're going to have, a, they're, they're going to be much more satisfied with their job. And so I saw that 
not happening at the company I was working at. And I realized that's not what I wanted for my family's life. Um, I knew that's not the kind, the way I wanted to be treated as a human and as a mother. So I, that's, I mean, that's what was a catalyst for me going out on my own. But in more recently, since I did that, I think in some ways it's challenging to be a mother and a business owner, but it's also very rewarding. I mean, some of the challenges are, you know, you always have mom guilt. Am I working too much? Am I not working enough? Am I spending enough time with my kids? Am I not, am I spending too much time with my kids? Am I smothering them? You know, so um, like figuring out the balance that to be a good mother, but then also be really do, do what you love really well is a challenge. But then I mean, nobody, I mean, very few other people get to live their lives like this, you know, like I can, I can work and I can work from home and I can also, you know, spend my children's waking hours with them. You know, I'm not, they're not at daycare, you know, from wee hours in the morning to late hours in the afternoon because I'm able to be home with them and figuring out how to do that, you know, like building your village, that African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child is so true. Like building your village, what's your support system? who, um, who helps you with your kids because it's really hard to be a mom and be alone. <laughs> I don't know how some people do it, but you have to have some sort of support system in place. Absolutely. No, I can definitely relate to that. And, um, you know, being female business owners and, you know, being able to kind of create your future and your own destiny to strike the balance that you want to strike is, is so important, especially in this day and age. So mm-hmm. I hear that, you know, you recognize that and, and set out on your own. So and it's, it's easier than ever to do right now. You know, we, I mean, because of technology, we can go out and start our own companies and be more flexible with our work and work remotely and, you know, all of those things. So I think, I think there's some good changes happening that make it more possible for women to be able to do that. It does take courage, though. There is a little bit of fear to get over just to make sure, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. When you have your own business, there's nobody like, – uh, contributing to your 401k or, you know, exactly. make PTO is not quite PTO. Yeah, right. I mean, clients can still call you on vacation. That is so true. Yeah, it does take courage, but I think the payoffs are really great as well. So if there's anyone in your audience who's like thinking, I, I really want more flexibility, I want to start my own company. I mean, be smart about it, but go for it as well. Don't Don't just let fear be the only thing stopping you. And I'd add to that, I think everybody learns so much, even if you fail. Like, yeah, there's so many life lessons that you'll get from that that have how to do better next time. And, you know, failure isn't necessarily failure uh, if it means that you're actually trying and doing something. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think we need to change the definition of failure from like trying and doing and acting to just when you give up and stop trying. I think that's what real failure is. Agreed. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for sharing everything today. If, if folks want to find you, where should they look? So you can always find me on Twitter. Uh, I am at mission underscore Maven on Twitter and then LinkedIn, Whitney Cole, you can probably find me on there. Um, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So that's a good place to connect with me. Uh, you can always shoot me an email at Whitney at the or you can visit my website at themissionmaven.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really enjoyed it. And hopefully we get to talk with you again soon. Yeah. Thank you both ladies. I've really enjoyed talking with you as well. Thanks for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or Whitney, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or if you simply tell a friend about this podcast, that would help us out too. You can connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle 
Hit Like a Girl Pod. Thanks again. See you next time.